There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Rachel Forsyth, senior reporter at Hort Week, and this week I'm joined by Carol Adams. Today we're going to be finding out a lot more about Trentham, a 725-acre estate in Staffordshire, where Carol oversees grounds and wildlife schemes as head of horticulture and biodiversity. Thank you so much for being with us, Carol. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, yes. Good, good. Are you ready for Christmas? Do you have any sort of fun traditions that you do? Yeah, um, I'm sort of getting ready. I mean, we've been so busy at work because we've got a big Christmas lights um, event on at the moment. So, uh, and we're busy working on lots of biodiversity projects as well and getting planning applications through. So, uh, yeah, lots going on. So I think Christmas will kind of just hit me in a wave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it usually does that way, doesn't it? So what's your background? Have you always kind of been interested in biodiversity? Yeah, I mean, think, um, you know, as a child, as, sort of, as you might have gathered from the accent, I grew up in Scotland um, and was out and about in the countryside a lot. Um, I had originally been sort of interested in forestry, um, but then actually trained in horticulture. Um, and I've done lots of different roles within the horticulture sector. Um, and, and more recently, in the sort of last uh, seven or eight years, uh, joined Trentham originally as the um, as the the garden team manager, um, but have progressed through, and uh, I'm now working uh, more broadly, uh, working with the estate as well, and looking at restoration of the broader estate and landscape management, as well as how we develop the garden. So yeah, it's been a an interest of mine uh, all the way through. Yeah, so we'll hear about some of those projects that you're working on in a bit. But um, what are some of those other roles you've worked on in the past? Um, so when I very first started out, um, I did uh, pre, 
pre-college work experiences you had to do back then, uh, working at Hopeton House up in, in Scotland in a historic landscape, Parkland um, and plant nursery um, and garden centre, um, and then went on to, to work at, at Bristol City Council for a period, uh, gaining experience whilst I was uh, training. Uh, then went into landscape design and garden design with Bridgemere Nurseries, doing domestic gardens and commercial sites and things like Chelsea Flower Show. Um, and then went on from that into uh, houseplant management of all things. Oh, okay. So sort of totally different and, and retail um, and buying um, and sourcing plant material um, for, for the Tillington Group as was then. Um, then I had a, a, a stint, um, a, quite a long stint in in education and, and went into um, further and higher education um, at Rees Heath College mm. um, and then had a, another change. You know, it's, I think it's one of the the amazing things about um, horticulture is there's so much diversity in, in job roles um, and, and had an opportunity to join the team at Trentham and um, you know that's that's been fantastic as well so it's it, you know lots of different interests you know it's always been um, you know, it's always nice to do something different and challenge yourself I think. Yeah definitely and that is a real mix of, of a lot of different things but do you think that kind of helps you in your role today? I think so, yeah. I mean, you, you get the sort of common uh, threads running through a lot of those, mm. um, you know, and it's it's a lot of it's about engaging people with what you're doing and, and the sort of research and learning, you know, and they always say every day is a school day, don't yeah. they? And it, I think, you know, in, in horticulture particularly, it, it's the case. Um, and, and I've just found that, you know, the, the sort of challenges in thinking about is sustainable horticulture and being able to be hands-on involved in that and, and looking at you know sort of broader landscape management and, and the public engagement that we have here at Trenton all the challenges that you know, sort of climate change present and uh, restoration um, of a historic landscape um, you know is, is all you know really um, challenging yeah. and interesting but yeah it uses a lot of the skills that I've developed over the years. Absolutely and before we kind of dive into what you guys are doing around biodiversity at Trentham I wonder if you could just describe it for us briefly what what could we expect to find there? Yeah so we're a 725 acre estate and um, used to be one of five of the Duke of Sutherland's um, estates around the country mm. um, and Trenton was um, originally designed um, by Charles Bridgman and then the Duke got uh, Capability Browning uh, who created a mile long lake um, in a valley fed by the River Trent um, on the outskirts of Stoke-on-Trent. Um, the garden was developed with um, alongside of a, a sort of an escarpment that is um, planted with a, an oak, predominantly oak woodland, uh, which is now a site of special scientific interest because of its its age and diversity, and particularly um, endangered insect species and and bird species. Um, but we also have lowland heath, uh, we have wetland, we have obviously the lake, um, and we have the garden setting that was then remodelled by uh, Charles Barry and the Victorian 
uh, period and was uh, at the time um, an Italianate parterre garden um, that was bedded out each summer in its entirety. Um, and, and the estate, um, when the Sutherlands passed it on um, and moved on to, to other projects um, and other properties, um, then was managed um, as a visitor attraction uh, as they had started mm. themselves. Um, and you know went through various changes in ownership until St Modwin uh, took it on twenty years ago, um, and it's gone through a major restoration um, with contemporary planting designs, replacing the traditional bedding schemes. So we've been working with Tom Stewart Smith, P. Tudor, and Professor Nigel Dunnett um, in creating very contemporary, sustainable planting schemes, which happened to you know i don't think we originally intended to create the biodiversity and the ecosystem services that we have but it transpires that it has achieved that and um the way that has changed how we're looking at the state and how visitors interact and enjoy the estate. It's not purely just about us being a, a beautiful contemporary garden, you know, sandwiched between the M6 and, and Stoke-on-Trent, <laughs> um, you know, with really good accessibility. It's 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 become more than that, if you so to be. Mm. That's really interesting that you didn't set about to create that biodiversity, but it's kind of happened as a happy coincidence do you think that is the best way to go about then developing that biodiversity you kind of need to have it there first to create it or can you create it from not a lot yeah i mean i think we're in a position where because we're on the the river trent corridor that gifts us some of what has arrived on site and and also presents us with other problems. You know, we have the the Himalayan balsam and the Japanese knotweed issues and the the litter issues that come with the river that comes through a major conurbation. Um, But it also uh, enables otters to re-establish within the garden uh, estate as well Mm. Um, and kingfishers, which are, you know, a big draw for the public. Um, And we've, we've been able to reconnect with the broader estate. So there was a a landscape management restoration plan drawn up at the outset to restore the uh, landscape setting, which had been significantly quarried, for example, to create the M6 motorway um, and had been managed more intensively for agriculture. Um, And we've been able to uh, restore that through higher level stewardship work that we've been doing with Natural England and um, also working collaboratively with regional um, organisations like our local wildlife trust, um, Canal and River Trust, um, the Environment Agency. So lots of different organisations in looking at sort of individual projects around the estate, um, but actually then creating sort of corridors um, that have enabled connectivity um, and and restoring the landscape has enabled things to reconnect from us. You know, we've got Canic Chase not not too far away in terms of gifting. We've got um, woodlands and agricultural land fairly, you know, 
fairly well connected to the, the landscape, even yeah. though we've got major roads on either side of us. Um, but yeah, it, it has been kind of almost um, not the primary intention when the gardens were being remodelled mm. uh, to create the biodiversity, but it, it certainly has achieved that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm kind of getting from that that it's been really a collaborative effort. It is. And I think, you know, we, we've been working with, um, you know, even sort of more recently, um, local small uh, groups. So, for example, the Barnell Trust, mm. um, the you know, Staffordshire Barnell Trust, uh, Staffordshire Mammal Group, um, our local Staffordshire Bat Group, um, as well as some of the, the further and higher education colleges um uh, and universities in in the area um which enables students to get involved it enables us to um work collaboratively and create opportunities for both our team to develop and also to make connections with individuals who are very very specialized and very passionate about particular topics and it's kind of facilitating that joined up approach of Kind of appreciating what you've got um don't think you know the surveying work particularly in identifying what you've got and um, it's so so specialized for some of the species that we've got here that um you know those species have been here for for years in our triple si for example um but um you know our, our, our staff wouldn't have um, the ability to identify, you know, with the best will in the world, um, some of the very, very obscure insects that we have there. Um, so we kind of have unique Staffordshire records, but I think we've probably got unique Staffordshire records because we've, we've facilitated that survey work, if you see what I mean, rather than it being that we're just the only site in Staffordshire that happens to have certain insects. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned back um, when you were talking about the biodiversity there, otters and things like that. Yeah. And I believe you've recently reintroduced voles as well. Is that correct? We have, yeah. So, um, you know, looking through the records, one of the things that I did when I took on the, the, the role that I'm now doing was contact the county archive uh, and looked at what the the records were for um animal species that we'd got um, and, and what had been here. Mm. And one of the things that uh, came up was that we'd had waterfalls, but we had lost waterfalls. And I, I contacted um, our river restorations manager at the Wildlife Trust and sort of said, oh, you know, could we could we have a look at this? Can we have a walk around? And we had a, a, a really good walk of the site and discussed the, you know, the potential. And he suggested we contact Derek Gow, um, who's, you know, lead rewilding specialist in the UK. Mm. Um, and we asked Derek to come and have a look at us. Um, and he was very excited about our, our habitats that we've now got. Um, and when you look at before and after photographs, of how it looked pre um, St Modwin starting to do what we've done with the lake, um, you know, you can totally see why we're, our our numbers had declined so rapidly through um, 
management techniques that had made a very clean and tidy lake margin and um, introducing motorised water sports as the, the previous owners had done had basically created wakes and washes and um, you know had 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 got bank access everywhere and short mown grass and we'd come in and planted thousands of UK marginal species around the lake and got rid of having motorised sports and gone into rowing and um, canoeing and, and sort of bell boating activities on the lake and you could see it in the bird population was there and the insect population was there. We've even got harvest mice um, in the margins and small numbers of, of water shrew, but had no water voles. And, and there weren't water voles regionally to repopulate Trenton. Right. Um, you know, we'd been managing mink for the last 10 years because we'd had far, fur farms with escapees and releases um, locally to us. So that had completely wiped out the population and we've been working on on getting that balance back but it wasn't going to naturally happen it needed us to do an intervention um and so um you know we we um committed to a budget spend and we had to look at it as a business case of you know why would we um reintroduce water voles to Trenton, what were the pros and cons um, in terms of how would it affect um, visitor experience, how would it affect current water use, how would it affect how we manage the site, was it going to have an impact on resourcing um, in a negative or positive way, um, where the public going to um, appreciate that they were here? Was it going to cause problems for them in terms of current dog walking access and how people were using the space? Um, and we saw it as a really great opportunity to engage the public in understanding why it was okay to leave margins longer yeah. and why was it good to have margins there at all um, and why would we leave differential mowing and and you know go with no mow may and take it into june and 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 take it on into the the rest of the year with differential mowing in different locations um, and why would short dogs on short leads for the benefit of water voles have a beneficial effect on other uh, species that were in the spaces as well? Um, and how could the public then think about how that would affect how they behave in the broader countryside? Um, and it, it transpires that when we released um, over 200 voles uh, this this year in June on site, we in a, in a in a week doubled the population for the county. Oh, wow. uh, by all accounts, for, from Nick Mott at the Wildlife Trust, who's been monitoring um, water vole numbers across the county. So, and as enabling that to happen and the. The, the sort of PR behind that and the engagement that we've been doing with the public, as those voles start to, to spread from Trentham, um, you know, we're in a really good situation. We've got the River Trent beside mm. us. We've got a number of brooks feed into the estate. And the idea is that they'll spread out from the estate and, and start to rewild this part of the county. Um, and that us educating the public about the issues with mink and them reporting mink sightings and mm. um, how people manage 
dogs access into rivers and brooks and lakes and things like that and those sorts of things all all help to um to justify why we would do something like this um and, and choosing a species that was a daytime feeder as well was really beneficial we found um within the first week of, of releasing that we'd got new visitors turning up with their cameras looking to take photographs of, of the waterfalls oh lovely yeah and such a great example of of how beneficial it can be to communicate to the public correctly and informatively and educate them about why these projects are so important but also why those green and blue corridors are so important as well um so that's a really really interesting project to hear about um do you have any advice for gardens who are they're looking to rewild but they don't really know where to start where would you say is a really good place to begin I mean, we've been very fortunate that uh, we've got really good contacts with our local wildlife trust. And I think, you know, reaching out to them uh, would be a good good starting point. Obviously, you've got nationally, there are organisations like Derek's that are working on rewilding and reintroductions. I've done um, a lot of sort of um, networking through things like um, the RHS as well mm. um, where we'll have partnership garden events on things like biodiversity and you're you're always learning from each other as well as to who the contacts are and, and how to initiate uh, different schemes so I, I think that those are the sort of areas that I would look at. Yeah it's a very sharing industry isn't it so you might as well make the most yeah. of those connections for sure. Um, do you believe that these kind of achievements are something that domestic gardens can help with? Uh, and is it something we can achieve even in our cityscapes? Oh, for definite, yeah. I mean, we, uh, we you know, we've been working with Nigel Dunnett on uh, planting schemes around the lake. And obviously, Nigel is an ambassador for the RHS in, in, in uh, greening the cities. And, um, you know, when you talk to ecologists and you take ecologists around the gardens and they're seeing the planting schemes that um, Nigel's created and Tom mm. and Pete have created. And you get into those planting schemes, you know, quite often we have school groups in, for example, or um, students who are getting work experience and they're in the planting schemes and they're finding voles and they're finding hedgehogs and all sorts of amazing moths um, and butterflies mm. and all sorts of insects. You really are seeing how... Putting in a diverse um, food web, you know, baseline level bottom bit of your food web through diverse planting. And particularly Nigel's work where Nigel's mixing native species with garden species. Yeah creating something that's very accessible for the public to engage with um, rather than just purely going with something that's a native mix. Mm. Um, where we've got planting schemes that are flowering literally for 12 months of the year um, in Woodland Meadows, for example, and we look at the biodiversity that's come into that area of woodland by comparison to when it was 
a rhododendron woodland, you know, a Victorian uh, remnant of, um, you know, sort of Victorian plant collecting. Um, and we had to clear our rhododendron um, because of the risk of, of disease. And so we were we were given a grant for funding from the, the Forestry Commission okay. to remove huge quantities of rhododendron mm. once come from the woodlands. Uh, and the, the life that was in there post that happening was very poor. Um, and obviously creating a garden within that um, has really engaged the public, you know, whether it's, for example, now flowering with some primrose content and hellebores, and mm. um, but will be flowering well through to the spring, summer, and then autumn, um, with asters and rebecca's and all sorts of things in there. So you know, I think there is an opportunity to engage the public in in creating these things, and showing how easy they are relatively to look after. You know, demystifying and making life less complicated. You know, when they see our team out there with um, hedge cutters um, or strimmers um, and we're cutting back the herbaceous perennials and raking it off and it's like, oh, I thought this was going to be really difficult and really complicated <laughs> to look after this complexity of a planting scheme. And it does have its challenges, you know, but it's really, it's really not as difficult as the public perceive. Um, and when you start doing walks and talks with them, or even just that sort of casual conversation as the gardeners are working in the garden, um, you know, the public are really engaging and kind of asking and tootling into the garden centre beside uh, the gardens um, and, and looking for the plants that they've seen that have inspired them. That is so lovely to hear. It really is. Um what can we expect from Trentham in the coming years? So we're working on um, more re- reintroductions, more rewilding of species that are, aren't currently at Trentham and um, looking at what can be achieved with that. We've been doing a lot of work um, in terms of nest box development and uh, bat box development as well. Um, uh, so that that uh, helps the particularly migratory bird species that we've been getting mm. nesting on the estate. We're focusing on connecting up our horticultural areas. So we started out because, you know, money is an object. It's not, you know, that there's an infinite amount of money to spend on these things. Yeah. Um, it, it's very much about... Um, we we create a sort of hub spaces of colour and interest periodically around the landscape to draw people to those locations. And it's now about connecting those up, connecting those um, sections together with ribbons of planting um, and facilities like seating to make it more accessible. And um, so we're looking at developing that. We're looking at developing our shrub um, and tree layers within the, the garden setting um, and looking at how we engage and, and get the public interpreting more of what we're doing um, and working more with uh, school groups um, and we've been doing things like wildlings with our local uh, wildlife trust so we've been doing toddler groups uh, as well as school group visits um, to really sort of reinforce how people can can interact with the outdoor space. It's so, so important. 
Oh, well, it's been so interesting to hear more about Trentham and what it's achieving. And we really look forward to seeing how it develops in the coming years. The last question we always ask our guests is what plant would they take to a desert island? So do you have your plant, Carol? <laughs> uh, I, I'm one of these people that's so spoilt for choice. That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll go. We'll go seasonal be, uh, because okay. we're sort of winter coming into the winter at the moment. I think um, it would probably need to be a, a, a witch hazel at this time of the year, and um, something like Arnold Promise um, for fragrance and color um, as something to look forward to. Perfect, beautiful choice that. Thank you, Carol. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Lovely. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm Rachel Forsyth, and this has been the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. If you are interested in producing a podcast with Horticulture Week, email us at hortweek at haymarket.com. Huge thank you again to Carol, and goodbye for now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.